Cal, Andy Stump, CEO of Black Rifle Coffee. It's great to have yeah, you. Yeah, it's good to be back on the podcast that my company owns. It's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so, those of you that don't know Andy, he came up with this joke. Shoot, this was probably it might a year actually ago, have been right? longer than was that. This a year ago. Yeah, really. Um, but it's it's super funny. Uh, go ahead and tell them tell them your joke. That's that's actually I'm I'm yeah, part of. Yeah, I mean, now. you describe it as super funny, but I think that only applies to you and I. Basically, before well, I think I had been part of this joke before I actually told you about it. I might have told you about it just to come clean in case somebody came up to you and was like, "Hey, uh, I was on an airplane with this dude." So it all starts with <laughs> you know I travel a substantial amount for work and I'm. Like him, this is literally the first shirt on the top of the pile today. So I was wearing a black rifle shirt on an airplane and I, fuck, I don't know what it is about airports, but people are like, they're like, Oh, Hey man, I love that coffee. And I'm like, okay, but I'm just, if I was wearing a rip curl shirt, would you be like, Hey dude, I love those surf wars too. It's bizarre. And they'd always want to talk about the coffee. And finally I just started fucking with people, which is my favorite hobby. I'm like, Oh yeah, thanks man. That's why I started the company. They're like, no way, dude, you started black rifle. I was like, in the moment, I was like, yes, I did. <laughs> so, and I don't know how many times I, it usually happens when I'm boarding an airplane that people will point at the shirt and go, right. Hey man, I love that coffee. I'm like, that's awesome. My name is Andy and I founded it and I founded it for you. And eventually it happened enough times I had to tell you. And thankfully you thought it was hilarious. So now we've joined forces and tell everybody that I'm the CEO and it freaks some people out. And you know, I get to laugh our asses off. <laughs> yeah, we. <clears throat> once you told me, I think you you told me when we were Andy and I were hunting. Oh, that was Texas, when I told you. <laughs> that, yeah, and we were we were getting ready for a podcast, what, a cleared hot, which is Andy's podcast, but you guys probably already listened to it. And he's um, like, "Hey, by the way, I've been telling people for like a year that I'm the CEO. <laughs> Should I just get a discount code?" <laughs> and I was like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? I forget what's the discount code. I think it's Andy. Yeah, Andy yeah. You did it right there on your phone, like when we were talking. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so now when Andy Andy uses the discount code, or people will ping me and comment in some of the posts that I make and some of the other stuff, it'll be like, "That's really cool. Too bad that you're not the real CEO. We all know that Andy is." And I'm like, "Yeah, you're right, dude. I got a good one. I'll, I'll read right. you an email that I literally got. It was like Black Rifle's customer service is savage because somebody referenced that I said I can't find it right now." They were like, they basically wrote into Black Rifle and like, Andy said, I get a free t-shirt. And your customer service department was like, you can hit up Andy about the shirt. I'm sure he's got an extra small for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yep, that sounds about right. (laughs) Oh man, they're doing it. They're doing it right. I love it. You know, commander's guidance. Yeah, they're they're doing it right. There are times when I've heard you talk about customer service to the team here at black rifle and you're like hey you guys can dial it up man we're we're not a pc company i've heard you say that multiple times trying to get them outside of the box you know they're resistant but they'll get there so interesting factoid now that we've changed out of uh andy ceo i think it's andy ceo 20 or something like that we'll put it we'll put it in the comments feed so zach put that make sure that we get that taken care of but so interesting fact, Free Range American was Andy's and John Dudley's. They started it. When did you guys start? I actually remember the initial conversation, and it was, I think, the very first time that I went to – it was either the first trip to Dudley's house or the second time that I was there. His wife, Sharon, who is – Sharon and Dudley are like the nicest people on the face of the planet. I get this question all the time. Yeah. Is Dudley as nice as he seems? It's like, no, he's actually somehow way nicer. They're just so generous with their right. time and knowledge. And they were making a shirt for knock on. that was like an evolution. It started off with like an ape and then it went to a spear and a bow, which they took a ton of shit for. Um, 
Yeah, I, I have, have it too. It. It's an amazing shirt. It's a, but it just yeah. blows my mind yeah. how people. And this is a total aside from the story. It's like they look at that as like some religious statement, as opposed to a. Oh my God, they what? took so much shit for that because it was like, how could you do this? Like that's not where humans came from. They became a statement of belief oh, to people. Oh, okay. But I remember it because she was working on that shirt design, and Dudley and I were shooting in his backyard on his grass. And we were talking about T-shirts. And I said to him, you should make a knock-on shirt that says Free Range American. And he was quiet for a minute, and he was thinking about it. And he's like, well, what do you mean by that? I'm like, a shirt, you know, like everybody always talks about being free. But let's not talk about being free. Let's go do and execute all these cool freedoms that we have. Let's just go out and do cool shit that we love doing, exercising our freedoms. And the shirt can be a celebration of that. And he thought on it a bit more and he goes, that's not a t-shirt. That's a brand in and of itself. And that's where it, it all started. I mean, that was probably my only productive and creative input into it. Cause he's so creative when it comes to design, he basically <laughs> took it from there, but that's how it all started was off of that. And then we grew it. I mean, obviously we, we both knew you at that point and we kind of grew it and realized yeah. through conversations that it was just such a better fit for the black rifle umbrella because you guys are doing exactly those things and your Dudley and I's microphone to the world is limited in scope and size in comparison to what you guys have is just such a better fit. Well, I think, you know, I think too, it's, it was, it's good because it's a yeah. partnership now, right? It's like we basically we've combined our forces. So uh, black rifle coffee, Andy and John, we're all part of the same company FRA. Uh, you know, we've been running that podcast, which was good because it came at a really good time for us because we wanted to branch out and do things that were more inspirational. They were emphasizing more about America, the, the freedoms that we so clearly enjoy. And so it came at this really cool time. And I think we were talking about an attack is when we really started getting into the nuts and bolts of it. And it's like, man, let's just figure out a way that we can get this thing all together. And now we have the, the, the initial owner of free range and then now partner with Andy, John, myself, and all the guys at black rifle. But I, I'm super excited, man, cause it's going to be a, an incredible year for, I think cleared hot. Your podcast is, it seems like it's, it seems like it's growing every time I log into YouTube, every time that I see another video, it seems like it's growing. And I think you're getting better because I remember listening to some of your interviews, and please don't take this the wrong way, a couple of your interviews three years ago or two years ago when you first started versus the interviews that you're doing oh, now, sure. yeah. they're way better. Well, you, know, you practice better. anything, you're probably going to get better at it. And I'm more comfortable, I mean, probably with myself now. I mean, one of my initial hesitations in starting the podcast to begin with is I'm not a huge fan of doing things that are public facing. I'm probably my, my own worst right. marketer. And the idea of like, I'm going to record my voice and my thoughts and just go ahead and release that to the hounds of the internet. That sounds like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> you know. And then yeah. you start, yeah, you start Seriously. doing it and it's like, Oh, well I get to talk to interesting people about things that interest them. And it's not actually about me. So yeah, I mean, I, I could, I would only hope that it would be mm -hmm. substantially better and then it would continue to do so. And it's a weird time, right? Like, I mean, in most places, people are locked down. So the demand for digital content is high. So there, I mean, there's right. certainly some, if not many positive things that will come out of the bizarre time that we're navigating our way through. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's such a complex statement to try to unpack. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting. Matt and I were just talking about this today before I was talking, before I jumped on this podcast, we're talking about some something about you know podcasts and uh youtube comments or whatever it is and really we're getting into like this this entire idea that we can't really look at comments because like if you're going to tune in and listen to us for any reason whatsoever that's great i'm not a subject matter expert in jack or shit typically uh for me, I was a tactical guy for the majority of my years. I was roasting some coffee. I started a company. Uh, and it's not as if it's been just happenstance. This is what I wanted to do. 
but I'm not a constitutional scholar. No I, shit. I can't, I can't talk about these things. I'm so far down the rabbit hole with what's happening <laughs> with COVID. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I, I have a company of 240 people. I mean, you have a company of 240 yeah. people that but I have you're to the figurehead part of, but I, I don't have time to get into the nuts and bolts of the, the internet alleys, I guess. And I think the the easier it makes, it makes it easy for me to just say, you know what, we're going to put out content. If people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't just unsubscribe. <laughs> if you don't like it, just unsubscribe or don't watch it. It's, it's, it's meant for people that enjoy it. If you don't like it. Yeah. It's off, voluntary basically. to participate. I was having this conversation earlier today. I don't consider myself to be a subject matter expert or have enough knowledge on any single topic where I can make these grandiose statements that people seem to be making, you know, like they're, they're right. These definitive statements. I actually, in everything that I've ever done in my life, I don't think I have enough knowledge or experience to make a single definitive statement on any topic. And it baffles me. Mm how people with an internet connection in five minutes on Google will often take the other approach right. on the internet. I mean, and I don't know about how you feel, but I actually enjoy challenging my beliefs. I seek out often other right. opinions. I'm open to having my beliefs change as they have changed throughout the course of my life. Um, sure. But God damn, man, you give somebody an internet connection and a little bit of social detachment from having to make that comment directly across face to face from somebody and it turns into a just a dumpster fire of all dumpster fires. And I think you have to be very careful navigating your way into that pig right. pen. I, I couldn't agree more. I think yeah, even navigating it, it's 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 funny. Matt and I were talking about this because we were talking about it in the context of, you know, it's easy for you guys because we're we're in a company. I'm like, yeah, but it's a company that I built from my <laughs> garage. My dad was a logger. Yeah. What I, you know, I wasn't a trustafarian. What are you talking about? This is it's complete insanity. Where, uh, not that, like I said, I, I don't even want to turn this into a, a negative diatribe. It's more about for us. Yeah, and we we really did focus on this conversation today. We we're like, this is all about positivity. This is all about trying to inject inspirational stories, a little bit of humor. And really, this is a bunch of former knuckle-dragger, tactical idiots having a conversation. It's nice because I get to kind of detach from some aspects of the company, and I can plug into a conversation with my friends and just be a, just be a friend in a friendly conversation and talk about specific topics. That's the thing I think about when I look at these podcasts that I really, really like and I get into, you can be, it feels like you're yeah, part of the I conversation, agree. right? It's, and if you're, if you have an, an IQ above, I think Neanderthal, which it's actually smarter than Homo sapiens, <laughs> but that's a, that's a different uh, podcast conversation. Right? You know, I, I'm still waiting for the people with Neanderthal genes to get reparations because the Homo sapiens took all their <laughs> land, but I'm just waiting for that. I'm waiting for people to be like, "Hey, you know, this is a this is evolutionary in, injustice. We got to get our land back." You know, I mean, I I, I think it wasn't it uh, Rogan that has like five percent Neanderthal no, no, no. or something 95% like that. Ninety five percent Neanderthal. He's talking about. <laughs> that dude is basically, yeah. 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 I mean, you put some hair on his face in a weird location and he'd be, he'd be, you could put him right yeah. in the zoo in one of those exhibits. Yeah. He's there. So, but what we were talking about was like injecting these conversations into the American public and allowing people to just be part of this conversation. And then if you don't like it, just opt out at the end of the day. That's the beauty of America. You can just say, fuck it. I'm out of here. It's not a big deal. And for you and I, we have these long conversations depending on the time of day, week, month, whatever it is. Even going into this, you and I were having this conversation about yep. the pandemic. Uh, nobody really knew what was going on, what, what, we were, what we were going to do with our families. Because you're yep. traveling to L.A. to be on Rogan's show. And the, the things that we were talking about were... How, how does this affect the blood blood banks in America? How is this affecting the health or the elderly? 
It's yeah, a politics the elderly side. I actually brought that up yeah. on Joe's show, talking about that because I was, I was thinking about that in in context of what the national narrative was, and I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about right. the national narrative since then. It's just, I look at the information that people consume, and it's got to be in the high ninetieth percentile of negative, and and flashy, and that right. informs how they behave in the rest of their life. They're being bombarded with things that are catchy. They seem overwhelming. They're negative. And then, you know, they turn around and their shit's falling apart in their real life. And to me, that's an easy breadcrumb connection. And I wish that more people could make it. For those who don't know, Andy, uh, you're, you're yeah, a med so medically now, retired. Yeah. Uh, medically retired. And was that, that was not something that you wanted to do. Uh, no, it was not. I actually was five days from just straight up separating and a doctor would not ch- sign my discharge physical. Right. And at that moment I was very pissed. And now after the process played itself out and I actually get disability money, I'm like, Oh, Hey, thanks dude. That was awesome. Right. <laughs> that, that's like, so he basically spread you away. Yeah. Which is I've good. needed that. Yeah, I've needed that in took- every, uh, every ladder wrong along the way years ago I was on Jocko's podcast and he was like, what rank did you get in the most trouble at? And I was like, all of them. (laughs) And he just looked at me and shook his head. He's like, yeah, that sounds about right. I'm like, Hey man, you and I have a different approach to life. It's all right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to me because those of you that, that know Andy and listen to his podcast, he's a, He's exactly the same. So you, you, you're kind of an asshole depending on the circumstance, sure. right? When we first met several years ago, when we first met, my, I think it was Baker that might Unfortunately, have Unfortunately, probably, yeah. It was Baker. Yeah, it was Baker. And Baker's brief to me was, Andy's an asshole, so you guys should well, get I just, along really I just well. dislike Baker, most of Baker, like 97% <laughs> of who Baker is. I dislike at a very deep DNA level. So I'm an asshole yeah. to him. I mean, I yeah, think I'm he's easy. Right. Which, which you're not. You're not an asshole whatsoever. You have a very specific demeanor, and I like the way that you engage with people. <laughs> it's funny because I would, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that podcast with oh, you God. and Jocko because now how long? It was like number 64 or something. It was early on. It was like maybe he'd been doing it for a year. Pre the studio he's in now. It was a while ago. How does he keep it up, man? Like what? What's like four thirty a.m. every day? I well, there are some people, and I'm sure you knew people like this that can function like that. Right. I think the danger is people who are not able to function like that, trying to force their life into that. Like some people right. just need more sleep. I mean, wake up early yeah. and work out. That's an awesome message. Um, I can't follow. Well, yeah. I go back and forth. I'll follow his Instagram for a little bit, and then he makes me feel bad, so I unfollow him. And then I, then I'll follow him a little bit and I'll make a few snarky comments on Instagram, which is what I think Instagram is for. Like, look at my watch. I got up at 1130, a reasonable hour, you know? (laughs) And, uh, but I mean, his message is great, but to me, everything in moderation is uh, a little bit more how I live my life on those fronts. Well, it's interesting because you've been able to take a very different approach. You've got a very successful podcast. You've been able to accomplish a fuck ton. So when you look at Andy and he's probably one of the most uh, humble guys that I know actually, because when you look at his entire resume, it doesn't sound like the guy that you're talking to because he's not going to take credit. He's not going to tell you all the great things that he's done. But, uh, that's one of the things I really wanted to talk to today was when you, First got out of the Navy, which was what uh, last day of June 2013. So coming up on seven years. So you've been out for seven years. Did you have a pilot's license then? Yes. No. When I get, so when I, yeah. Oh, so I got my pilot's license, my okay. private pilot's license in 2007, right. early 2007. So I left development group and I checked into BUDS. Right which for people listening stands for basic underwater demolition seal. It's the entry pipeline to becoming a seal. You're not a seal at the end. It's the, it's the opening of the door, not the arrival at the objective. Right. And they, you know, for years and I, and I, I suspect the SF world has probably done this. They're always trying to figure out ways to fuck with attrition. Like we need more guys. So 
let's change this aspect of training. So I checked in as a buds Mm -hmm. instructor. They're like, Oh, we're getting rid of winter hell week this year. I was like, what? So I checked in and they had nothing for me to do for like three to four months. So we were living in Santee, California, and there's a small airfield there. And I was driving home and I see this little Cessna, you know, 150 or like 182, obviously being flown by a student pilot. And by that, it looked like it was going to crash and cartwheel and a fucking ball of fire down the (laughs) runway. And it's like, (laughs) and I was like, oh, that's awesome. So I took a left and literally drove to the flight school. I'm like, I would like to learn how to be a pilot. And I did a lesson that day. I had made up my mind. Yeah, I'm dead too. This is exactly how this happened. So I literally watched this guy almost crash. I'm like, that's awesome. Had time to make the exit, drove to the flight school. It was the California Flight Academy. And I was like, I'm here to be a pilot. And they took me up and I flew a plane around. And then I was the asshole getting ready to, because they're like, here, get in the left-hand seat. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not qualified to do any of this. (laughs) (laughs) So private pilot's license is very easy. It's maybe, I think I got mine in 40 hours, which is totally normal. It's in The knowledge level for a private pilot doesn't have to be huge because you're not really doing cross-country stuff very much. You're not flying in instrument conditions. It's sunny out. You can see where you're going. You can go fly around. And most people are flying in a little Cessna, like a Cessna 182. So, And then I just shelved it. I didn't really fly at all. And I started working for CrossFit shortly thereafter. And Greg was living in Prescott, Arizona. But he was driving back. That's the founder of CrossFit. Greg Glassman, founder of CrossFit. Uh, surprisingly enough, CrossFit was founded in the town that I was born and raised in, in Santa Cruz. I had no idea right. when I started doing it. Uh, but the gym was about eight blocks from my parents' house. So he had a house in Santa Cruz. He had a house in San Diego and he had a house in Prescott and just driving back and forth. And if you've ever done that drive, it's going to be eight to 10 hours, depending on what time you hit it. And he right. did that for a few years. And I think it was 2000 and... 10, around 2010, maybe 2011, he calls me and he was like, Hey, you have your pilot's license, right? And I don't even remember telling him that I had my pilot's license. But I was like, yeah. Right. I was like, well, I had it. I mean, I haven't flown in years. He's like, okay, cool. Uh, start training again tomorrow. I'm tired of this goddamn drive from Prescott to California. So get all your ratings. Uh, here's the CrossFit credit card and we're going to buy an airplane. I'm like, okay, giddy up. So the next day I went to Montgomery field and basically had to get recurrent again. And then I got my instrument rating, my multi-engine, my commercial. Then I got type rated in the Gulfstream G4, got my citation 525 S type rating. And then my ATP all in the span of like two years. It was awesome. (laughs) I flew a Gulfstream (laughs) in the left seat with 486 hours of total flight time. (laughs) Which you and I have talked about this, which is complete insanity because weren't you going or arriving at either commercial or instrument? You had the least amount of hours. Uh, I don't know about that. So when you go to get a type rating, the Gulfstream was like four weeks and it was at flight safety up in Long Beach. And, you know, the first thing they're doing is like it was a class of like, I think, 10 people. And And of course, they do the class intro. And as soon as they said they were going to do that, I'm like, well, this is about to get awkward immediately because these people are like, oh, right. I've been a corporate pilot for years. I have these various type ratings. I have 6,000 hours. And I'm just, of course, I'm fucking last. I'm sitting in the back right of the room <laughs> and they're going around. And the average flight time in that room was 5,000 hours. And it gets to me. I'm like, hey, my name's right. Andy. I like long walks on the beach and my favorite color is blue and I have 480 flight hours. <laughs> and they were just like, what? <laughs> and, uh, nobody thought I was going to be able to do it. And aviation is like ridiculously checklist based and it's all systematic, which guess right. what plays directly into my wheelhouse. I'm really good at following instructions. So I did exactly what the checklist said and I would study for the tests and I passed and it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. And it's crazy because you go to get these type ratings and you're flying a video game. It's, I think it's a level D simulator. So all the, bu- all the buttons have to be right. in exactly the correct location. They have to function uh, as they do in the aircraft. It's a full motion simulator. It's crazy. And they get in there and they just start going nuclear on your ass. Every red fucking light is going off. But the cool thing about a Gulfstream is it's a mandatory two pilot. So if you're the guy in the left seat, 
you could just load share all that stuff to the right. other guy. They're like, hey, make that red right. light stop blinking, Jeebs. You know, and you're just sitting there <laughs> flying your airplane. So I graduated that. And with 486 hours, I was like taxiing in the left seat, just driving this, flying this Gulfstream. We went out, flew to, uh, and it was just to go actually do a flight in the actual airplane. So we took off from Carlsbad, went over right. to an airport just south of Palm Springs, did a touching, uh, did a landing taxi back, took off. And then I landed that thing at the Carlsbad airport, which is a ridiculously short runway for an aircraft of that size. Um, and I, you know, I had 0.6 hours of total flight time in it at that time. <laughs> And then started started doing part 135, many, which is charter. So I flew that thing to Hawaii a bunch, to Canada, to Mexico, to Turks and Caicos, to the Bahamas. Like, it was nuts. I flew Dr. Dre wow. back from uh, Vegas one time to Van Nuys. Yeah, it was great. Are you serious? I was the right seat pilot, so I was given the brief. And I closed, you know, you close the door, and there's seats right there, and he was sitting right there. And they don't usually give you their real first name. They'll change the name right at the end because the manifest has to be correct. And I forget what his actual name is. Right. But I'm like, hey, here's the emergency exits and this, that, or the other. And I'm like, hey, if there's a medical emergency, I'm going to let you have it, sir, because you're the only doctor on board. And he <laughs> cracked up laughing, <laughs> and I hopped in the seat, and he flew him to Van Nuys. And it's like, it was just bizarre. I mean, I was flying. It was, it was ridiculous. Nobody thought that I was going to be able to do it. And they think that it's like some ridiculous, insurmountable feat. All I did was just follow a checklist and just follow the procedures. I mean, I wasn't right. up there making anything up. I'm like, oh, these are the rules. Uh, these are the procedures. All right, let's execute. That's all it was. And then how long did you do uh, – or how long were you a pilot after that? Probably two or three years after that. I was flying a lot. Forward and that was full-time? That's no, what you were well, doing? So I was still working for CrossFit. So I was managing their licensing and sponsorship and charitable initiatives. So, you know, the partnership with – Right. Reebok and CrossFit. I was sitting at the table when that deal was signed and negotiated. Right. Uh, and I was Greg's pilot. So I was flying him around and then I would do the part 135 stuff, which is just, you know, basically on demand charter operations. Somebody calls and says, Hey, we need this plane to go there. Right. I would do that. They had three pilots and of course you need two. So we would rotate through and I would take the trips that I could take on times when Greg didn't need me. So I was doing them simultaneously. Wow. So you were, you were basically, as my dad would say, busier than, you know, a man in an ass kicking contest, a one legged man in an ass kicking contest, because it sounds like you're super busy. And at that point, CrossFit was, it was on a meteoric rise. Yeah. Right? That thing was just not only, you couldn't, you couldn't really classify it as takeoff. The thing it yeah. Took I off. think when I started working for them in late 06, early 07, like they were on the launch pad, but the smoke was already coming out of the missile. In in 2010, right. when they signed with Reebok and it became like a massive on cable television on ESPN, I mean they were they were outside of Earth's orbit orbit at that point. I mean things were seriously. They probably took off like the rocket cleared the pad before signing with Reebok, but after right. that, I mean it was just on its way out of the atmosphere. Yeah, and at that point, I was I was relatively new. I think in 2000. 6, 2007, I was doing CrossFit up in North Seattle. That was like the oh, first yeah. gym in Seattle. It was started by a former uh, Marine, and it was in this old naval warehouse. Perfect. Super cool. Uh, it, was so, it was such a cool place to work out. It's so funny because I showed up there. My buddy was we, – we had done some CrossFit workouts in 2002, 2001 when we were at Fort Bragg, because my buddy had this shirt and it was this Pukey. clown yeah. puking. I have a skydiving canopy that? that has that on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I, I'm talking to my buddy. I'm like, what is this shirt? I don't understand what you're wearing. This is a clown puking. And then he described it to me. So then I went and got into, uh, Pavel's videos. I was flipping around kettlebells and I, I met yep. Jeff Martone and I was you know, before Jeff, Jeff was the, uh, the CrossFit kettlebell guy. And then when I went and did that workout, it was so funny because I remember showing up there and going, ah, you know, I'm pretty, 
pretty fit. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I hope know you, you guys are this, ready to get smoked. <laughs> 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 yeah. And it was oh, three fuck. events. So it was row, deadlifts, and I think a uh, like a sandbag something or other. You know, one of those one of those big sandbag things. Uh, and I left there with when you've been breathing so hard and you're at VO2 mask max because I'm a as, as as I'm sure you are I'm a very competitive person. So I'm trying to beat the fictional time of whatever yeah. time that is. So I'm rowing as fast as I can. I don't know how to pace myself. Like uh, it's the first time I've ever been on a rowing machine. You know, maximum. Uh, uh, yeah, maximum I'm gonna effort. do. <laughs> yeah, maximum effort, which is not sustainable for five oh minutes or whatever it was. And I left there, and my mouth tasted that, yeah. that tin that when you're when you're at vo2 max for so long tastes kind of battery like acid you your you've got blood battery acid whatever that is yeah it tastes like battery acid you're right and um but then i was hooked for several several years after that everywhere every place we went i was in whether i was in jalalabad or you, you know my buddy and i um i don't know if you know him v diamond uh he and I were rotating in and out of Kabul and he had a CrossFit gym in Salt Lake. That's one of the reasons that I got, got here actually. So it's so funny because here you are working at CrossFit in the same years, you know, I've been kind of weaving my way through these kettlebells and Martone and all these people, because when we first met, we played the name game for probably an hour and we still played the name game and we must've, missed each other like ships in the night oh, for sure times and you know yeah that experience you're times. talking about of a guy who walks into the gym for fill in the blank like i don't know if you know this but i'm a yeah fill in the blank generally some high-speed yeah. operator and leaves yeah. with their tail just completely tucked because you look at just oh it's yeah. 21 15 9 oh what are we going to do after that it's like oh no problem oh. And then yeah. they just get humbled. That actually was probably the best calling card for that program in the early days because it hooked so many yeah. people who were like that, were competitive. And if you think about it, you know, the Spec Ops community or the SWAT community or the LEO, for better or worse, a lot of people look at them as inspirational or aspirational. But those communities are also full of right. A-type people that are trying to destroy themselves for fake points in yes. time. So that program, they find that they're like, oh, this is amazing. They dive in. And I think that was really a lot of the initial building blocks that ignited that fire underneath the CrossFit rocket. It had to be every one of my friends that that I knew, depending on where we were, if we were traveling or doing something, there was a, cro- oh, there for was sure. a kettlebell, there was a CrossFit workout. And the thing that I loved about it when we were deployed was we were working out together and we'd compete against each other. Yeah. It was super fun, right? So people that like to compete, it's 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 really fun. Uh, now, obviously, if you like to lose, it's it's not as fun. But I think for us, those were some of the, the great days that I remember downrange with guys that are probably still rotating in and out, to be honest with you, was just trashing ourselves on a C2 rower with a, you know, a beat up kettlebell that we had loaded in a shipping container and shipped out into the middle of nowhere in 138 degrees in Basra, <laughs> just shredding yep. our lives. And then I, but then I got into Jim so Jones. He, dude, not to interrupt you, he was my introduction to CrossFit. So I'm re- trying to rehab from getting hurt overseas. And I bring him out to do a Jim Jones seminar, the first one that was done at that command. And there was like seven right. of us in the room who all really kind of dug in on it. And me and one guy in particular, Steve Sanders, he was on my podcast. Um, fuck, we went deep and we'd be like, just, we would be pushing like razors. He'd be, you know, sitting in the driver's seat and just putting it in neutral. We're driving it around, climbing ropes. We're just annihilating ourselves while people in the gym, just sculpting their guns and working on their obliques, looking at us like, what <laughs> in the fuck is wrong with you two? But it's, I mean, those experiences with him, like, oh, my God, man, we go out to jump trips at Arizona at the facility, and we'd be there at 3 in the morning doing jumps, and then we'd go crush ourselves running sprints up the tower. Kettlebell is the same thing. 
And then it's funny to see how now that's kind of just basically the now normal template for those types of organizations. Yeah. Because I remember when it was the opposite and people would literally pull me aside afterwards and be like, Hey man, like, is everything okay in your life? Like, is everything going okay? Like <laughs> you seem to have like a lot of excess energy and rage. What's wrong? I'm like, no man, I'm just trying to get in shape. <laughs> just trying to but get Dwight in shape, was, man. I mean, fuck Dwight, like, Dwight's gym. Originally Jim Jones was a CrossFit affiliate. And it's again, this weave, yeah. this network and nucleus of people that Many of them have splintered out, but that connectedness is so cool. Yeah. Uh, Mark Twite's going to be on the podcast next week. So Trevor Thompson, myself, and Mark are going to be on a podcast. Funny short story with Mark. He wrote a book called Kiss or Kill Confessions of a Serial Climber way back in the day. Phenomenal book. And I went to one of his book signings in Seattle in the 90s, like in 97. I was one of... Six people yep. there, you know, depending, <laughs> right? Uh, because For it's sure. all mountaineer. It was like fringe, counterculture, metal, like, yeah. yeah. So fringe. Fuck you and, and fuck the rope. I climb because I want to, not because you like it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah. don't get me wrong. I'm not saying yeah, that pejoratively. It, I love that dude. He is fucking awesome. Yeah. No, he's awesome. So I read his book. Then I saw he was doing a book signing in the Mountaineers, which his book was incredible. I would still recommend it today. It stands the test of time. It's awesome. And here's this guy because, you know, as I was getting into mountaineering, I think in the late, the late nineties, Mark was the guy. He still is actually for, for he's, he's about the only guy left that's still alive that hasn't died in the mountains. And he probably is that guy because he made the decision to back off when he did. Yeah. And he's had, so meeting him back in the nineties, then fast forward when I realized this was Mark Twite that ran Jim Jones and then having Jim Jones in Salt Lake city, Utah, which was another connection with my buddy V it was so random and weird, but Mark was—he's—he's he's this eclectic and, and he's a complete anomaly of an individual. He's a perfectionist. There's absolutely zero <laughs> doubt in my mind that he's a perfectionist in so many ways. He, in so many aspects. Right? Yeah. In so many ways, he—he's—he is truly a remarkable human. There, there are very few humans that that I think meet and exceed the level of standard that Mark Twight has on a wide variety of topics. He's a professional uh, Ipsic shooter. He was a mountaineer. He started Jim Jones. Like, the guy is an incredible photographer. Endurance He's an incredible athlete, writer. cyclist. Anything and everything. Endurance, yeah. Anything the guy does, he goes a yep. thousand percent. These are the guys when, when late 90s, early 20s, those are the guys I was looking at going, that's the kind of guy I want to be, right? I, that is the guy yep. I want to be. I don't want to be this other guy. You know, there's a million different templates of people that you could look at to aspire to be, but Mark was the guy I was looking at going, I want to be like Mark Twight. That's the kind of guy I want to be. Too bad there's only um, one. So, <laughs> too bad there's only one. So when I met him, I met him in Salt Lake, uh, Last year, he had another book signing, and uh, Sean Evangelisa and Trevor and everybody went over there. And I, so I, I met him again. I was like, I told him this story. It's like, whether you know it or not, you've been hugely yep. inspirational in my entire life. I, I've watched what you've done. I, I read your books. I've read your blogs. I've consumed so much of your information that you've had this huge impact on my life. But you don't know who the fuck I am. <laughs> yeah. You don't re- you don't remember me, but you've been a huge inspiration in my life. He's like, man, that really it, it, you could you could see that it really meant a lot to him that I even said that. Not because I'm important. It was just I don't know if a lot of people tell him that, but that guy's touched so many people with what he's done. The cool things that he does, he's he creates exclusivity around what he's doing because he doesn't want dirt bags in his life. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. Jim Jones was invitation only. It was a run out of his garage. It was, it was, it was the fight club it was of only gyms. The, yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was the fight club I bet of gyms. You, you know, and, it's, it's funny. 
having somebody in your life that has that much impact that is actually ridiculously detached from you in every single way. You're pursuing the things that they do and following in their path, but they don't even know about it. I bet you now, given what you are doing to include this podcast, I bet you get messages like that often. Yeah, I get a lot of guys like, well, coffee yeah. roasting guys are always asking me questions about coffee. Well, I guess roasting. my point is it's interesting uh, now, given the more digital mediums, the breadth and depth scope. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't consider mm-hmm. myself to be anything or anybody and I'll get messages occasionally like, Hey, your podcast helped me through an ama- you know, a difficult time or, um, listening to you talk about the seal community made, you know what I mean? Like it has impact on people's life that I didn't mm-hmm. intend for it to do that, but I think it's awesome that the barriers to having that happen have been reduced. You know, I struggle with it. I, I do even with the company, I have to remind myself all the time that I've been in a position of leadership. I have to, you know, act and behave a certain way. Not because I, I'm forcing the circumstance. It's mainly around narrative. I'm not a very, I don't find myself very inspirational in just the day-to-day communication. I don't communicate very well as, 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 as most people have told me. <laughs> because... <laughs> I, I'm an action-based person, right? Which, you know, for me, I, I have to remind myself to thank people. It's not that I'm not thankful. It's just, I always lean back on this idea. Well, why do people even care about hearing from me? I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't consider myself even smarter than the average bear. The only thing that I know really that I, that I'm halfway decent at is is I can outwork people. Yeah. That's well, it, a, right? So it's just like that's I a superpower in and of itself. And I, you know, I trust me. I have the paperwork to prove that I'm not smarter than the average bear. And uh, <laughs> I've come to the conclusion that you don't have to be because I I, I mean, right. not that I think people should shoot for being average, but if you can be consistently average, you're actually going to outdo most people. Right. Well, I, I say it all the time. I give people this advice in the context of, listen, I've hired a lot of contractors over the last few years because of you know, the expansion of Black Rifle. And I use this analogy because I think a lot of people can really relate to it, which is the contractor that shows up on time every day and just does what, the say, what, what they say they're going to do for the bid price that they Rock say they're going to do it in <laughs> continues. They're rock stars. It, you will have all the business you ever yeah. needed for the entire of your yeah. professional existence. By doing, by you doing what you say. If promise and over-deliver, yeah, just by doing what you say. And I, I talk to people about this only in the context of life in general, saying I don't find myself that inspirational under, you know, with, with a mic. I don't even try to be inspirational. I don't. I just go out and do the things that I like to do that I'm very interested in that I can, I can continue to, to dive into and find energy out of, you know, it's really easy for me to be connected in with my family and my kids. Super easy. I'm not trying to be, when I say this, I'm not trying to inspire people to be a great dad. I'm just trying to be a great dad for my kids. (laughs) Like I'm not, I'm not trying to like write dad blogs and I'm not discrediting people that are doing that. I'm just trying to be a great dad for my kids. I'm trying to be a better husband. I'm trying to be a good CEO. That's debatable, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's very debatable across the board, but there are a lot of other things that I've, that you take on in life. And I've, I've had these conversations with people. I like to take on long, extensive projects like that require years of development because the things that you can just learn like that typically don't really yeah. interest me. There's, it has to be a significant barrier of entry. So for instance, you and I, you know, you guys were really, I think that the, the, the the big jump in evolution to my archery because of what you and John were doing. I was shooting my trad bow before and I was, didn't want to get into this, this compound archery world because I was, I was scared of (laughs) all the 
fucking whiz bangs and bells all over those things, dude. I, I, it didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Like, why are, why do you have all these yeah. wires on this thing? And you've got lens is everywhere. All connected and to one thing? Is it just wrapped around? No, I get it. <laughs> I tell you what, though, yeah. I wish and you would have missed that shot on that pig, your first pig. I was trying to get in your head. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's behind me. He's, well, Andy and I we we started I guess you started probably a year Maybe, yeah. and a half before me. And and then I got I I got my bow and then we linked up but so we went on my first real hunt with compound bow. Andy's behind me as I I've been walking. I walked 50 plus miles before we even got close enough to see this pig, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, man, this archery shit is and no And thankfully joke. Dudley was there because they were down in that hole. And since he's a giant, he was able to yeah. see down on them. Otherwise, we probably would have walked right past him. Yeah, we yeah. or we scared him off, right? We would have like walked into him. So, okay, they're right up here. They're right up here. And I come to full draw. Andy's right behind me with the camera and his voice going, what were you? That's exactly what I said. You're whispering, like, don't fuck this up. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to sneak up on these pigs at full draw. And, and I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can to be as sneaky as I can. I'm thinking, oh, these pigs are going to find me at any point in time. I just got to shoot. And John's trying to nudge me, get, get closer, get closer, get closer. Uh, and I had the one that I wanted. I threw it up and over the one's back down into the other one. Uh, and Andy, Andy and John made fun of me for, uh, I, I, I would imagine they're still making fun of me. There's like, man, you, your hand was shaking like a dog shit with razor blades. And, uh, I'm going, yeah, it was a full draw for like two minutes, man. Like it was so awesome. Coaching is all about, you know, connecting with the person and trying to say what they need in the moment. And you needed to be made fun of and have negative reinforcement, which is the only tool that I have, by the way. But it was awesome because I remember you shot that and then it got a little western. We all went running up that hill. And then yeah, and then finally the that was the trip at the end of it where like, what do you think, boys? Take the old smoke wagons out for a trip? <laughs> yeah. That was a fantastic yeah. hog hunt because it was you, me, Barklow, John Barklow, and Trevor. Was yep. um, yeah, Trevor. Yeah. So, and then we ended up doing the moose God. hunt again later, which hunt. was. Uh, <laughs> I, I never saw hey, a man. moose. I know. Neither. I mean, Barklow saw Barklow yeah. saw one. I saw one. Well, I would have shot, shot the one it. had I seen it. Here's a question for you: What do you call two? What do you call two moose? I thought it was Meese. 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 Yeah, I would say Meese's. Yeah, I don't think that's right. <laughs> Meese. Yeah. Let's go with Meese. I like that. So, so all this time, I've, and this is the, the this is like a, a great conversation for me because you're flying a private private jet. You know, you're a retired Navy SEAL. You're flying a private jet. You're working for CrossFit, and you just decided, ah, you know what? I think I'm going to set a world record in here too, somewhere. Just like, um, how did, wait, wait, what was, what was the genesis? So I was working for CrossFit and then I, one night I decided I didn't want to. So I quit and went from making money right. to having zero income overnight. Um, and I started surprisingly enough, I got a telephone call like two days later from my buddy, Steve Sanders. Um, same guy that I was doing workouts with yeah. and he, was definitely a mentor for me on the air side of the house while I was in the military. He was the JSOC uh, free fall course director for a few years to include the basic course and the bundle course. So he called me. He's like, hey, I just started doing some contract work for a company that works with uh, specifically the Air Force, getting PJ and CCT guys at the end of their pipeline so they're done with their selection. I think they actually called it Green Team. And just give them some additional training. So I started doing contracting for uh, the Air Force and just going out in basic, basic, like this is how you actually exit an airplane in flight and working on body skills in the wind tunnel. And in doing so, uh, Baker comes back into the story in Killcliffe. I So I started jumping the way that I wanted to jump as opposed to the way that you are right. in the military. You just jump when you are told to jump. You don't really have 
you know, I couldn't base jump when I was in the military and I got into that after I got out. Um, I couldn't fly wingsuit in the military. So I got into that after I got out and Baker was working with Killcliffe at the time. And they were thinking of ways to raise money for the seal foundation. And, uh, somehow the conversation came up about a wingsuit jump and trying to set world records. And I think Baker said, Hey, would you be able to do that? Right. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. And that was in January, I think. And then in August, uh, no, it was in November of the year before. And then August the next year, uh, we did the jump in Davis, California. Mind you, when I told him that I could do that, we were actually in Boston. I had never actually put a wingsuit on. So they're like, Hey, do you think you could beat the world record? I was like, yes, so, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Got and it. so then I started flying the shit out of a wingsuit and, uh, found some really good mentors and just trained really hard. And then, you know, about a span of about eight or nine months was able to go and throw the suit on and, you know, pull it out of my ass barely, but, uh, worked itself out. What, what elevation? 36,500. And the airplane Dude. was, and then it was a, a caravan, a highly modified Cessna caravan, yeah. and everything was stripped out of there except for the O2 bottle, the pilot, and the oxygen tech. And that that airplane was at full speed, obviously, because the air, you know, is the air density right. is so much thinner. And I was wearing a ridiculously large suit at the time for my skill level, and just completely got ragdolled going out the door, pulled that out of my ass, and then pointed my head towards the rising sun and just was hoping for the best, and kind of just. Hummed my way along. No altimeter on, by the way, um, because it would have had been external on my, uh, you know, the lift web. And I was wearing an O2 right. mask. And I thought, of course, in my mind, I'm like, well, given my luck, my O2 mask will somehow wrap around that. And I'll like turn my head and rip my mask off at 30,000 right. feet. And then I'll turn it into a real shit show. So I'm like, I'll just wear two audible altimeters, one on each side of my helmet, right? What could possibly go wrong? I'll just set up these beeps so I'll know at what altitude I'm at. And it did work for a while, and then maybe I didn't hear the one at pole altitude, but I had just gotten back not too long before then from a trip to Switzerland where I was base jumping, which is completely visual. So you get used right. to kind of judging distance based off your eye. I'm just flying along, and I was like, God damn, those trees are getting big. <laughs> Like I've had enough of this. I just flared up in the suit and pulled. And I, I mean, I was well under the USPA guidelines for main deployment altitude. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. Not the best. So how far was two five miles? And then is that does that still stand today? Uh, no, a Marine Corps aviator. I believe he's a helicopter pilot named Kyle Lopres. I think he beat it, uh, beat it by like a half mile, something like that, or a quarter of a mile. Yeah, seriously. So how did you get a Guinness Book of World I would have had I filed for it. That? I never even filed for the records because, quite frankly, I didn't care. So the two records that I broke were absolute distance in free fall and then – or no, I'm sorry, total distance in free fall and then absolute distance. So they add the canopy flight, even though it was relatively short right. <laughs> uh, afterwards. And I never filed for it because it was all based around fundraising, and I, quite frankly, could give two, two shits about yeah. having a Guinness Book of anything. So – how long were you in flight? Uh, just wise. over eight minutes of an isometric hold in wow. a wingsuit. <laughs> you there? I got you. Yeah, we're back. You're back? Yeah. So just yes, over eight minutes. Of, and I would equate it to go get a just to make it easy for people to attempt, go get a five pound dumbbell and hold it in each hand at a 45 degree angle for eight minutes. And that simulates a portion. Yeah, that <laughs> simulates easy. a portion of what that felt like. Cause your entire body, you're trying to make your body. If you look at an airplane, right? You do a cross section. There's all sorts of ribs and, right. you know, structural support. Well, your yeah. body is creating that inside of this nylon suit. So it's a good time. So you're going to do it again, basically. So what I want to do is like get a balloon that can go to like 80,000 and get like a partial pressure spacesuit and a big wingsuit and see if I can make it all the way across like a state. Right. <laughs> oh, like a bomb gardener. Yeah. But like it'd be, Felix, you, you would, like, like that type of a scenario. You would get so much more uh, free fall time than him because your horizontal distance yeah. and sp your vertical speed in a wingsuit, I mean, it's 
man. Well, I mean, I can go up in my wingsuit for a short period of time. So you can really flatten out. And if you're going for max glide, you're probably only falling at like, fuck, maybe 30, 40 miles an hour. So he, I mean, he broke the speed of sound with his body. Whereas you would be hauling ass the other direction. Which is completely insane oh, for sure. to me, by the way. The speed of sound great, with the right? human body, which like that guy's awesome. And he got into a spin and he got his way yeah. out of the spin. If you watch the documentary, you know, they, they basically like hired a bunch of people from NASA, which is smart. And they had like yeah. this code word and I forget what it was, but it was super innocuous. So they could say it over like the command center. And if they did say it, all of a sudden they were going to have technical difficulties with the video cameras and you see him go into a spin Got and they it. shut the cameras off for a bit because it was about to get a little wild for him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't know it's that. A, I, and I, th- I watched the documentary as well. And yeah. I can't so the guy, that. one of the main like mission control yeah. dude, like said the word that was basically like kill the feed. <laughs> right. Well, didn't, didn't a guy from Google did. break that? Yeah. Right Very after quietly. Him? Yeah. Was it an executive from Google or did you I, know I think he was that? like top three. There's a documentary on his as well. And, uh, so he had, I'm pretty sure he had a tethered drogue behind him. Whereas Felix went out totally slick uh, but either way. It doesn't matter. So right. he, if I remember correctly, he was like in his suit in like a horizontal position and got lifted to elevation and like right. hit a button. It's like, wee, here we go. But he definitely broke the uh, height record for sure. What do you know the height off the top of your head? Because it looks like they're almost they're almost yeah, out of atmosphere. I don't know at the height, point, right? They're they're at the edge yeah. of space. It's incredible. If you if you guys take a look at that, if you guys haven't seen that, you got you got to look it up. Just look at, look the video up on YouTube. I think it was it was the Red Bull, Red Bull Stratos or, project for I Felix. Was, I don't know the yeah. the Google guy, but I know they made a documentary on both. So what's, what's next, Andy? What do you got? What do you got going next? Are you getting back into, are you doing more bass? I mean, I know you're getting way deeper and deeper into uh, BJJ. Yeah. That's probably the big concern yeah, I would, thing for you, right? Are you trying to get your black belt? I don't belt even care about just, the belt, to be honest with you. It's, it's an interesting, um, and I have conversations with people about this, because, you know, there's belts and then there's stripes that go on the belts to kind of monitor mm-hmm. your progress. And I see people that don't care about the belts, and then I see people who care a lot about the belts, and then every stripe in between. For me, I I find it to be very challenging, equally mentally and physically, because you're trying to do a puzzle, but you're in a dryer at the same time, and somebody's lying on top of you. Um, and, I, and I really like that, right. and I enjoy it to the point where the belt around your waist, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, it's going to sort itself out, so... Will I eventually get a black belt? I have no idea. I have no intention of stopping. So it would just be a matter of continuing on until whenever that happens, but that's not a goal. So I'll definitely going to continue to do that. Um, The jumping stuff. I don't know. Um, My risk versus reward matrix has certainly shifted over the years. Um, It takes a lot of time to be as safe as you can possibly be in those environments, which still leaves a lot of residual risk. Right. And I would rather dedicate that time to doing something um, that I enjoy that requires less risk. So I would say the two things I'm diving in on, we right. were talking about this the other day, is probably the podcast in addition to jujitsu. It's yeah. I didn't realize how much I was going to enjoy it. I did not lay out. I didn't have like this MDMP process of, hey, I'm going to create a podcast and let me plan this whole thing out. I was like, well, I'm going to do this. And I got some recording equipment based off of a Google search. And love it. I love doing it. I love sitting down and talking to interesting people. And so I'm going to dive in on that and increase the content offerings per week and uh, sign the lease on a studio. Going to try to professionalize that so it's more consistent. And if it's can turn it into something that I can do full time, I can't imagine something I would enjoy more than sitting down and talking to fascinating people about how they were able to do those fascinating things. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because we we continue, I think we continue to do more and more of these types of shows because everybody has their own way of, their own way of interviewing people, their own piece of information they want to pull out. Uh, I've listened to quite a few different interviews with you and I'm like, God, but they didn't really touch on you, know, you being a pilot, which we didn't really touch on that outside of, hey man, you've done a lot of really interesting things in your life. And the thing that I've heard a lot of is 
which I will never be able to escape for the rest of my life, nor will you be able to escape the SFCIA moniker. And it just is what it is. I've at least taken it off at this point on my Instagram handle. I've just taken it completely off. I just call myself. I've never had anything uh, seal related on my Instagram. I think it's like, I think it says skydiver base jumper. I've never, you know, I just, I I don't know. I mean, I've come to the piece with, it's always going to be a part of who I am, but if I, you know, I'll brush up my resume from time to time. It's like six bullet points down. Right. I I think for me, it's more of, of, I want people to to judge me based on what I'm doing now, not necessarily what I've done in the past. Uh, And I don't want, I don't need anybody to kind of say, well, he's a good guy or, you know, because he had a green hat. I've still got a green hat actually, you know, uh, that's your passive aggressive green it's, beret. It's you just change it to a green Richardson blank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a blank black rifle hat. You know, I like, I like, I like talking to people like you. I like one. I like spending time with you, which is, I'm happy that you're coming down yeah. tomorrow. Are you yeah, we're driving today? Off today? Uh, and then are are you going to hunt elk in Montana this year? Are you going back to Utah? Where, I where you think that at? is – so I will have access to my general tag here in Montana. I think anything yeah, yeah. for non-residents, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like I'd love to do the mm-hmm. Alberta opener with Dudley, but I don't know yeah, if yeah. Canada is going to allow non-residents, non-citizens to cross the border to hunt. Um, right. I'd love to hunt again in Utah. Or, but who knows? I mean, I think a lot of those decisions are outside of my hands. So right now I know for a fact I'll have a bull and deer tag in Montana. But other than that, right. dude, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of up in the air for us right now. I know that we're doing that one hunt in the fall here in Utah. Uh, I'm trying to get up to Idaho to get another another hunt in, uh, but we'll see. My My cousin up there... He wants me to go to New Mexico with him. He's the bugler uh, on Instagram, him and uh, Phelps. They make elk calls. So we're both from the same Orofino, Lewiston, Idaho area. So we're trying to put an elk hunt on in, in New Mexico. But to be honest with you, man, I love hunting. Like it's, it's, I could probably do it 250 days. If not 275. Yeah, if not 275, if not 300. Yeah, or 325. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's, that, it's that selfish balance between getting out and spending time in the, in the mountains and spending time the with hunt the is, kids. The hunt is only, really you know, what's captured. You see these hunting videos, like, t- it's hard yeah. to describe to people. I mean, I, you'll walk on average, and you know this as well as anybody else, 10 to 12 miles a day. And that's a boring video. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's like you'll do five to seven to, or Dudley and I were on a stretch of 10 to 20 of those days. And then you'll encounter an animal. The time in physical investment is much larger than I think most people understand. And I'm actually at that same point. Like I'm not a professional hunter. I'm just so fortunate to be friends with them, but I, it costs me money. Nobody's paying me to hunt. I am paying to go hunt and I have to. Like last year, I went a little bit buck wild. I'm like, okay, let's recalibrate my, you know, fiscal allocation of funds towards <laughs> hunting things as a hobby <laughs> and maybe focus on things that I could actually professionalize myself with, which isn't hunting. And I, you know, it, I'm just, it's, I'll just enjoy the trips that I get with those people, but I'll be more selective in the trips that I take. I, and I'm trying to focus this year. I'm trying to really focus in on on Utah specifically and getting way more out of Utah. Uh, I know that there are some incredible places that you just have to work a little bit harder yeah. to get into. I'm definitely going to have a depredation tag for cows. I know that there's plenty of those going out. And my wife, my goal this year is to get my wife on on a, a cow elk. So, you know, we're we're really kind of focused on this summer really just kind of getting through this uh, COVID pandemic bullshit that we're in, getting people back in the shops or retail and then really just focusing hard on this fall so we can bring some large, I, I, I really do want to kill a big elk. It'll be my first big elk this year for an opportunity for one. So I'm, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do, you know, but at the end of the day, if it has horns, it's going down. 
I mean, it's I'm not I'm not going to be too selective. My only question ever, even with Dudley, I'm like, hey, is that legal? And if his answer is yes, yeah, it's like I don't I don't know how to measure animals for a trophy size. It's like you walked out in front of me, it's legal. Like let's put it on a plate. I don't I don't care. Man, I had I had some bacon wrapped elk from the Traeger, bacon wrapped elk backstrap from the Traeger. It's quite possibly the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. Uh, the most delicious thing I've yeah. ever eaten. And those moose, those moose are amazing. The, the meat, yeah, the misai, they're amazing. Trevor and I were talking about it yesterday. We, uh, I, brought, I brought my moose hide. Actually, you got to see this thing. This is real. This makes for really good material. Look at this thing. Sweet. <laughs> what are you gonna? So I had my do moose hide. I don't know. I just know that I wanted to make get a speedo out of it. And my idea. I want well. What I was thinking about doing was making some moose pants out of it, and then get it like a, a zebra vest, and then wear it, and then wear it in the summertime. For, and that's my hunting. <laughs> that's my hunting attire for fall yep. elk camp: moose pants, zebra vest, and I. I don't know why, because it's a natural camouflage zebra. Should work. So I think I'm fine. I, it should. I'm, I've thought my yeah. way through this. Fucking moose hunting. I hope that your guys' freezers somehow lose electrical power and your meat goes bad. I've got redundancy on it, so I'm I not have, worried about it. I hope it. that your house burns well, down, not with you in it, but with your meat freezer in it. <laughs> it's I hope in that the burns shop. down, too. All right. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, so go check out Cleared Hot, Andy Stump, Cleared Hot. If you haven't seen his podcast, thanks a lot, man. We'll see you tomorrow. Going to go do some shed hunting, and then we'll have you back probably once a month, I guess. Yeah, sounds good. I'm bringing the podcast gear. We're going to do a 30-minute Q&A from the tailgate of the truck on generator power. It's no big deal. Dude, I love it. I got some generator. I got a generator. I have one, truck. Mine's better than yours by 1%. Okay. All right. Okay. You got it. I'll capitulate to that. Yep. All right, dude. Thanks a lot. Yeah.